2: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. Back in June of 2019, Governor Ned Lamont signed into law a requirement that school districts offer black and Latino studies to students. Districts began piloting the course in 2021, and then the requirement went into effect for the 2022-23 school year. Students at the CREC Academy of International Studies recently welcomed reporters to the school in Bloomfield. I was there as well. They wanted to mark Black History Month by talking about their experience taking the Black and Latino Studies class. Alana Lilly is a junior. I want you all to listen to what she told reporters about taking the class.
0: Being in this class and being able to have an opportunity like this, I think really helps Black and Latino students see another side of their education, because I think a lot of them were taught how we were put down, but we were never taught how we helped ourselves resist and progress in America.
2: Joining us now on Where We Live for a discussion on race and education are Dr. Bilal Siku, Hillier College Associate Professor of Politics and Government at the University of Hartford. Good morning, Dr. CQ.
3: Good morning, and go Hawks.
2: Go Hawks, and good morning, Professor. Good to hear from you. Isha Pendarker, Staff Writer for Race and Opportunity at EdWeek, has joined us now as well. Good morning, Isha. Good morning. And if you're listening to the conversation right now, you can join us. Give us a phone call, 888 888- 720 9677 720 wnpr find us on facebook and twitter at where we live professor we just heard from a student that takes black and latino studies in connecticut what are the benefits for kids of having essentially more inclusive curriculum
3: oh the benefits are enormous uh, you know as someone who you know grew up in the detroit public school system in which you know black history for me was learning about a few heroic figures such as harriet tupman or frederick douglas and martin luther king and that was the extent of black history and so these young people will get an opportunity be to be immersed in the history the culture the contributions of people of color to arts to the wider society in general, which, you know, will be tremendous just in terms of their understanding of the contributions people of color have made to America, but also to global history. And certainly for many of them, it will create an opportunity for them to to develop pride in themselves and to really think about themselves beyond perhaps the confines of maybe growing up in poverty or having other sort of barrier obstacles in front of them to really see that excellence can occur. And that people of color have done tremendous things in this world.
2: What you said there about uh, just hearing about some of these names and uh, Harriet Tubman or or something to that effect during this month makes me think about something. Charlene Russell Tucker, who is the State Department of Ed Commissioner, she spoke at that news conference. She said something. I'm going to look at my screen here and read it. She said, in the words of Booker T. Washington, success always leaves footprints. So with this course, I assure you that we are laying down. Footprints. So, how do these classes kind of impact long-term success, the footprints, and a child's mental health? What about impacting the racial gap in in academics, Professor?
3: Again, I mean, there are numerous examples of, you know, Black and Latino, Puerto Rican, and, and, you know, and others, Latino contributions to American society, and you know, wide wide range of areas from science and arts, not just sports, for example. And so, for young people, I think it really creates that opportunity for them to see the world in a much different way, to see people who look like them, and to know that you know they can also achieve if they you know work hard. And um, and that I just think that's an important message to send to young people.
2: I want to talk more about that message sent to young people to families as well. And maybe the psychological impact when this type of course isn't offered. I want to talk about that more later. But first, Isha Pandarkar. Isha, from your reporting at EdWeek, we see that 18 states are restricting how teachers talk about race in the classroom. Who are some of these states? Who are some of these actors? And uh, what kind of moves have they made to limit what kids can learn at school?
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, It is 18 states where these bills have been passed. but it is I think it's um, 40, it's 44 states where they've been introduced or states have taken other steps. Uh, So this is a pretty widespread movement now. It, I think, started in January 2021 and shows no sign of slowing down. Um, uh, The the 18 states that you mentioned have passed policies or state laws that basically are called um, divisive concepts laws. And they... They derive they're derived from uh, President Donald Trump's executive order that uh, applied to government employees from 2020 that had a lot of this language and and, and the same language is what we see in most of these laws where they say it applies to students now, obviously. But but they say students can be made to feel guilt or anguish uh, because of past actions of their race or that teachers can not teach that. America or uh, America's past is inherently racist or that anyone is inherently racist because of their race so these are not things that teachers are doing for the most for the for the vast majority teachers are not trying to make students feel guilt or anguish they're just trying to teach history but because of these laws and the way the vagueness of the language and the way they've been interpreted, um, a lot of teachers are afraid to even like go near the topics of race. So it's really created this sort of um, silencing, censorship, chilling effect, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, on lessons of race in states that have these laws and in you know districts where superintendents are concerned and are not and are not supporting their teachers saying you can talk about this and we will make sure you won't get in trouble.
2: Isha, it's funny that we're having this conversation the way that we are, and we have a caller, actually, on the line who is calling us right now that I'm locking in, who's actually a state representative in the state of Connecticut, as I understand it. Christine, welcome to the conversation. I think you just heard what Isha said about how teachers are having to kind of react to some of the things said to them by students or maybe teachers about the, the instruction happening in their class.
4: Yes, good morning, Frankie. Thank you for uh, taking this very important subject on. Um, Some colleagues and I have introduced a bill in the House of Representatives to protect teachers for doing exactly what your caller is saying, uh, teaching the mandates curriculum, and that includes Black and Latino studies, LGBTQ, climate change, anything currently considered, quote-unquote, controversial, although, of course, they should not be.
2: Thank you so much for th- anything else you want to say Christine while we have you on here really quick.
4: No, appreciate your dealing th- with this very difficult subject. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Take care. And 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 to that point To that point I just want to say uh this is a lot about how politics are influencing the conversation anytime now, I hear the the name Donald Trump, as, as was in your previous response there, Isha. You can't help but think about politics. Obviously, he's an ex-president, but we talk about a, a Donald Trump, a, a Ron DeSantis here. We hear a lot about CRT or critical race theories these days. Is that essentially what we're talking about here, or are inclusive curriculums different from that? Uh,
0: yes, yeah, CRT is not really—I mean, yes, it has been misused, as an umbrella term by Republican lawmakers when proposing these laws as something that schools should be wary of, and that um, you know that that liberal people want to infiltrate schools with CRT and indoctrinate kids. This this is all re- language I've heard um, while I've I've been reporting on this for the past almost two years now. Um, but CRT in itself is not. I mean, yes, the tenets of CRT are, um, you know, mentioned when you talk about systemic racism because CRT is an academic framework that applies to studying how different systems, including education, but it wasn't originally about education, um, different how different systems are um, systemically racist and that racism isn't an individual act but a collective system built to oppress um, historically marginalized populations, especially black people. And it was built for the legal system um, and then you know, developed for uh, other sort of education system, included other sort of uh, systematic um, institutions in the US. And so the CRT mention started in 2021 when a lot of these states were passing these laws. And while they were calling them anti-CRT laws, the term CRT was not really banned in some initial ones. But uh, definitely, you mentioned Ron DeSantis in Florida's version of the law. Um, it was one of the first states to mention a CRT specifically and ban any mention of CRT in his state's divisive concepts law. Yeah, although you know, CRT no. is not really being taught in schools as a direct theory.
3: Yeah, Professor, you know, frankly, go ahead. Can I just add one thing about this? Is that you know I think one of the things. You know that we shouldn't do is to talk about this as if this is a you know a new battle in america this is an old battle and um you know when you really think about what's going on essentially every red state has tried to restrict teaching of racial issues and lgbtq issues in some form right when you look at that list of the states that are really introducing bills um that are successful you know it's occurring in a a part of a country in a part of the country in which this kind of distortion of history has already gone on and it's gone on for a long period of time. And particularly intriguing to me about what is currently happening is that a lot of the attacks are really about what has really happened since the civil rights era. And it's almost like there's an effort to erase anything that has occurred past um, the 1970s. And so attacks on intersectionality, queer studies, womanism, talk about reparations, Black Lives Matter. I mean, the list sort of goes on and on. These things in which groups have engaged in, you know, these sort of historic battles uh, to create an inclusive democracy. This is what's under attack. And so what, you know, many of these states are doing and what DeSantis is attempting to do is to erase that history. And, you know, to me, it the thread connects to make America great again in this sort of nostalgia for an America that never really existed, but certainly one in which um, but, white male patriarchy was at the center of how we thought uh, and, and Christianity was at the center of how we thought what American identity is.
2: Ah, And and this is this is something I want to get to. Why pre-Civil War, b- b- belai our other The other night, I'm watching the Super Bowl, and then afterwards, there's a clip from, uh, I think it was Chris Berman on ESPN. He says, this is the first time in history that we had two black quarterbacks play in the Super Bowl. What a moment it was. And it happened on Abraham Lincoln's birthday.
3: Yeah. What, <laughs> why, yeah. why is that such an important part of the conversation there? <laughs> Because it is a significant, you know, development, certainly in professional athletics. But again, it really comes back to. But the Lincoln, but
2: the Lincoln component and the pre-Civil War thing, like why, why, why are we, why do we care so much? Maybe as, 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 as the white members of society that are in power here, why, why is that so important in the conversation?
3: I mean, we're we're just at a point in the history of our country in which a significant portion of our population is really uncomfortable with the demographic changes that are occurring in, in America. Recent polling just came out where even among Democrats, people are uncomfortable with what's going on with immigration. You know, the demographic changes, the sort of battles and struggles for uh, political and and economic and social equality. I mean, this is unsettling, makes a lot of Americans uncomfortable. And we're seeing a kind of backlash, um, you know, that is really intensifying. This backlash, of course, started even after the civil rights era. And, you know, having a sort of a backlash of this nature is not unusual for America. It was a backlash that occurred after Reconstruction. So we're just seeing that, you know, moment reemerge now.
2: Let me back up a little bit here. I, I said Ron DeSantis. I don't even know if I said him on first reference at that point. But the point here is that the most recent controversy we're talking about, this debate, where the heck did it come from, Isha? And, 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 and when did this happen? Isha Pendarker darker from Ed Week. Who, yes. Yes, go ahead.
0: Sorry. Uh, well, you broke up a little. Can you repeat the question? I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah, the most recent controversy that we'd had here, the yeah. rejection of AP African-American studies mm-hmm. in Florida by the Department of Education down there and Ron DeSantis.
0: Right. Um, so when did it happen? Uh, it first, well, it, we all thought that in, on January 7th, the letter that Florida's Department of Education sent uh the college board which is the organization that formulates uh ap courses and that was the first ever reference of florida rejecting this ap course but it turns out that florida had been in touch with college board before that uh throughout last year when they were developing the pilot program that has been, been that 60 schools have been teaching across the country and raised objections to um its legitimacy so uh, but but as far as the public knows, that was Jan- January seventh was the first time Florida was mentioning the fact that they were they cannot allow the AP course in Florida schools because it, um, according to Florida, it lacked educational value, historical accuracy, and it was illegal, um, and they obviously mentioned a few specific topics because of which they were deeming the course illegal. Uh, Desantis uh, publicly mostly objected to, um, as the professor was saying, some of the more modern aspects of the Black African American Studies uh, course, which is, uh, which was you know um, the abolishing of prisons or Black Lives Matter movement or Black queer theory, and um, he said that these these topics in being included in the. Uh, pilot curriculum meant that students were being indoctrinated, and that Florida would not be allowing that. Um, and then, obviously, there were specific authors and topics called out in the email that the department sent College Board, and said that if you remove these topics, we'll reconsider and go back to the negotiations of Florida, whether or not we'll allow this course. Eight eight
2: eight seven two zero WNPR eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven Seven, the talk show call-in number to participate in this great conversation we're having, Isha. I read in the New York Times that Florida officials they accused the College Board, the nonprofit that administers AP courses, of trying to quote advance Black Panther thinking. Isha, are these attacks on the College Board and, and Black History overall? Are they landing? Are the AP courses like changing in response? Um, I don't.
0: Know if the answer to that is super clear. I College Board mm-hmm. has claimed multiple times that they have not changed any AP curriculum, including uh the AP African American Studies course, because of state's feedback. They made it very clear in the letter to their members and then to the broader public on Saturday that they had not changed the course in response to Florida and that they they ad- actually did admit that initially by not responding to florida's actions and condemning them they made a mistake they should have had a stronger response but i think they said that the pilot curriculum was finalized into whatever the 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 version of the courses that they released on february 1st which will be the final version taught in um i think more than 600 high schools starting next year um that course had nothing to do with florida's input now Um, There has been some debate and some reporting on the fact that some of these topics that DeSantis and Manny Diaz, the Commissioner of Education in Florida, objected to were um, downgraded to um, optional topics, which students could choose to do projects on. But that is we don't because the pilot framework isn't public. we are not sure and no one can tell right now whether these topics were mandatory in the in the pilot version of the curriculum or whether they were always optional and uh, florida was objecting to the topics even though they were optional so there's a little bit of uh contention about that and um hearsay is what we have to go on because they haven't released the pilot curriculum to to be compared publicly to the final one so that we can see for ourselves whether any topics were removed in as a response to um, any state's objection.
2: So you talk about the, the really we're laying the groundwork at least in, in Florida uh, and maybe some of these AP courses nationally of how things are going to be taught next year. Is is, is that uh, almost finalized? When should that uh, when when should that curriculum be kind of laid out?
0: Uh, the curriculum, the public, uh, the uh, the College Board released the final version of the curriculum publicly. On February 1st, it is um, pretty detailed. It's more than 100 pages, and it goes through all the topics, mandatory and optional, um, that will be part of this course. And that won't
2: change is what I guess I was trying um, to ask.
0: um, It's not to say. Well, uh, I mean, maybe it'll change, but I don't think in any significant way there might be tweaks. But I think this is the final version as College Board intended it.
2: I uh, want to go ahead, Bilal,
3: I was going to say, but I think we're up against a break here. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think it's also important as you look at the the timeline of how these decisions were being made about what was being sort of centered in the curriculum and what was decentered in the curriculum. It clearly shows a pattern in which, you know, that sort of unit that dealt with movements and debates that that was really watered down. And authors were, in fact, Removed, who have been really sort of central to, you know, examinations of you know black studies and the sort of since the creation of black studies as an area. And so, I, I think there's a clear pattern in which the removal of terms like police brutality and Black Lives Matter clearly show that you know the the College Board is concerned, perhaps not about the AP course because this isn't really a big money maker for them. This is an elective course. But, you know, that fear of a big state like Florida, which has lots of students who take the SAT, which the College Board also administers, you know, being on Florida's bad side and perhaps having them do what California did, which is to drop the SAT. And some other states are thinking about that. And certainly colleges and universities are thinking about that. Dropping the SAT as a part of the requirement that has to make uh, the College Board responsive to a a state like Florida or a state like Texas, which has a lot of students who utilize Mm -hmm. their tools.
2: I got to go to break, but when we come back, I want to hear from a a, a state official here responding to what's happening in Florida. We're going to also dig deeper into the psychological impact of what happens when you don't give students this important part of history. 888-720-WNPR. I already see you calling on the phone lines. Thank you so much. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public.
4: I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's
1: life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash
3: health.
2: This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. Last segment, I played a clip from a student, uh, Alana Lilly, in Bloomfield. And on that same day that we were able to hear from her and other students at the crack Academy of International Studies about Black and Latino Studies class and their experience taking it, Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont spoke out against Ron DeSantis and the state of Florida's rejection of AP African-American studies. Take a listen to Governor Lamont.
5: Uh, I think um, this is important that we have this course in black and Hispanic studies spread across uh, all of our school districts right now. I want it to be part of our regular curriculum. I just think it ought to be built into American history and social studies.
2: I want to get more into the psychological impact I promised to 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 dive into and and why this needs to be a, a part of the curriculum. But I think we got to address this first, uh, Professor, before we go any farther. Help me with what Lamont just said there. There may be this effort, excuse me, there may be this effort in Connecticut to make black and Latino studies, I guess, more required or mandatory. And as Lamont says, I'm part of social studies. But I, I know that's a very important thing that can happen here. But does that potentially water down the class? Should it be a separate class? What are your thoughts?
3: What I think, you know, if I'm understanding what, what the governor is, is talking about is the question about whether the course should be an elective or should be mandatory, which I think really points to a very important thing we all need to understand that this isn't just a history that only black and Hispanic or Latino students should be exposed to. This is a history um, that every student should be exposed to um, in that particular sense. I mean, we are, a Country now that is growing increasingly diverse. Uh, the demographic changes suggest by mid-century we may be a majority-minority country, or majority people of color already. A majority of the students who are in the K through 12 system are students of color, and so this suggests that this should be a part of how we understand our country understand the history of our country but also help us to underst- help us to prepare for the future of our of our country and so in that sense having a course like this be mandatory i think could be something that could be really helpful in building an inclusive democracy
2: yeah and 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 not necessarily about whether or not it should be mandatory i think that I, I think it's I, I think the mandatory part is not necessarily what 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 i'm concerned about i think it would be more of if this is If when it is mandatory, it's more of a of a part of social studies. I I think about this because when and we're going to get into this more in the next segment. But when lawmakers in Connecticut passed this law, the the way to to get it through with Republicans, as I understand it, was to make it an elective. And then I think with AAPI and Native uh, and Indigenous studies, the compromise there was to kind of make it not necessarily course, but more a part of the curriculum. So I worry if it goes further into the curriculum, it sounds like a great thing on at face value, but I worry about it getting totally watered down. I don't know. Is is, is that a valid?
3: Yeah, concern? And, and, and certainly, you know, that you know, the potential for that is is there. And I think for me, the the bigger concern would be about making sure people who teach this course are actually trained well to be able to teach this course. So you know, just offering it and even creating the curriculum, my understanding is they consulted about 150 different experts. So there's a lot of work went into constructing the curriculum, but certainly what needs to be done in terms of higher ed, for example, preparing teachers to be able to teach courses like this. So there are things that need to go on even at the higher ed level where, Teachers are being trained so that they're trained in a way that they could actually teach these kinds of courses and to do that effectively. And a resource to hire the people who can do it or at least give, give them the opportunity to receive the sort of extra training to help them prepare to do it and to do it well, I think, is something that's really critical.
2: I'm having a good time here with the professor, but just for the uninitiated, in Connecticut, the deal with Black and Latino studies is that it is required that districts offer black and latino studies but that doesn't necessarily mean that kids take the class it is offered as an elective one so the kid has to has to uh, either agree to take it whatever and then number two if the district if there's not enough enrollment the class will essentially be shelved because nobody's taking the class so i wanted to, to pivot now back to you isha are you seeing other states kind of adopt this curriculum in 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 uh in this way whereas it's offered as an elective or if it's baked into the curriculum what are you seeing out there isha
0: um yeah i think the division of um how history is taught or social studies is taught is right along party lines across states so um, Republican governors, um, not just DeSantis, but Abbott in Texas and others who are following in the footsteps of Florida um, by reviewing this AP course are um, are they typically states where um, lawmakers are shying away from honest teaching of history and offering these sorts of courses. Um, but meanwhile, several blue states are moving in the direction of mandating african-american latino puerto rican studies setting up um different divisions uh asian american studies um setting up different accountability measures to make sure those um those studies are taught so i think we see a lot of the that division um for example um Connecticut is one of them Delaware Maine Rhode Island um have passed laws requiring instruction about black history but um I mean they're all worded differently but they're essentially you know and they have different levels of commitment included um for example Maine's law says that African-American studies and the history of genocide must be included in state testing standards um, but meanwhile, as we talked about the 18 states that have restricted lessons on race and racism, um, but also um, in Virginia, after the appointment of Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin, the state has been shifting the focus of the curriculum away from black and native people in a, in a revision process. And uh, obviously in Arkansas, once uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders took office, um, she issued an executive order, uh, it, banning teachers from talk, uh, to, from talking about certain aspects of race, um, and then obviously Florida, which has um, removed this course, um, from its current AP offering. So we're seeing really strong divisions across. Um, what Democratic and Republican governors and,
2: will, and even in more liberal states too, correct like New York, Maine, and California, we're talking about potentially having some proposed legislation, doing something similar and rejecting curriculum. Um,
0: I don't believe that New York or California is has has rejected this African American studies course.
2: No, but at least legislature was proposed, as I understand it, or le- excuse me, legislation was proposed.
0: I think, yes, in and in a lot of states, the legislation was proposed by Republican lawmakers, but gotcha. it all boils down to whether the governor was go, ever going to sign it. And in those states, this sort of legislation died pretty quickly. Our
2: state government boasts that Connecticut was the first state to require students to be offered Black and Latino studies. But uh, does that mean our students, people of color in Connecticut, are immune to the kind of attacks on education from white lawmakers? Other states are experiencing, and I say that because miles up Route 6 from where I'm standing, the Killingly School Board is populated by people that ran for their seats to try and stop this racist mascot from being canceled. And I'm in touch with families constantly in the New Haven suburb of Woodbridge that are disheartened by pushback to diversity, equity, and inclusion programming in their schools. Mad that black student leaders at Amity High School didn't get a say a couple years ago during Black History Month programming why guys is the classroom such a battleground in the effort to really purvey racism and and prejudice
3: go ahead Bilal, if
2: you're listening to me <clears throat> excuse me
3: oh yeah i mean you know obviously and I, I think you know one thing is important to say is that you know connecticut is a blue state and so for most communities in the state this has not been an issue and while there were certain communities that wanted to hold on to the mascots this is just not simply something that i think is a big issue here but i think there's also this ecosystem that you know isn't a part of our conversation but i think it's important part of the conversation that you know nationally there are groups out there who are pushing this agenda and so this isn't necessarily something that's grassroots like we think it is there are there are uh, organizations with lots of money dark money behind them that are pushing these kinds of cultural issues um in order to stir up conflict in in different places and so you know, um, these battles are are going to occur even here in Connecticut in some places. But I think ultimately they will not be successful because um, this is just not a state where those kind of cultural issues play well.
2: I just wanted to keep letting folks know that you can call us 888-720-WNPR if you want to participate on our talk show call in line. And also, we have a comment from a listener at the Connecticut Historical Society, just wanting to inform listeners that they're working uh, through a grant to create digital resource packs to align with curriculum and highlight collection and Connecticut stories. And in speaking of the curriculum and how this whole battle is taking place, I want to take a caller right now that is from Glastonbury, as I understand it. Eileen, what's your comment this hour?
4: Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Um, First of all, thank you for this program. This is awesome. And thank you, Governor, for passing legislation to have Black and Latino studies in school. Um, As a white girl growing up in the suburbs, um, I didn't have interaction with Black people until I went to college. And fortunately, I developed great friendships with Black women. Um, I lived in poor neighborhoods, went to a poor college, but developed great friendships. And really, you know, and I love the speakers. um, I really think, you know, it's like we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we don't teach black history in schools. I mean, here's an opportunity, you know, to really educate like everyone, white students, black students, everyone about the great accomplishments of people of color, of Latino people, Um, you know, what white people see, at least is my interpretation, you know, in the news, you know, uh, 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 you know, is, you know, police and, you know, black people and low, you just, all this stuff, negative stuff, negative, negative stuff. And I think, you know, people are fearful of black people because they don't have relationships. I mean, when you have you develop relationships, you know, you realize, oh, my gosh, like we're all the same. You know,
2: thank you, Eileen, so much for calling in here from Glastonbury today. I really appreciate your phone call. And uh, we're up almost against a break. That's why I'm kind of cutting Eileen short here. I just want to say that. I brought up the whole Amity thing in that part of the conversation because a kid I spoke to there a couple of years ago, his name is Sage Paglia. They showed him and his classmates a video during Black History Month of rapper Kanye West calling for an end to the celebration of uh, of Black History Month. And then nothing else, no counter-programming. He said the kid, he said that he didn't have a chance to ask anyone any questions about what he just saw. And this is a black student leader at the school that really wanted to have a say in what was happening at the school on Black History Month uh any kind of programming, just kind of left to his friends to talk about what was happening. What are we doing to young people here and their families when we really don't have them a part of the the conversation? Bilal, go ahead. I know there was a lot in between the the uh, the last <laughs> caller there and, yeah, and that, 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 so that's go a- ahead.
3: But I'm talking about the psychological
2: impact on students and families here.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think it's damaging. And I think, you know, clearly for, you know, young people who are forming their identity, um, you know, giving them, you know, access to information and helping them to sort of think through independently about these kinds of issues is important to their growth and development. And as I said before, you know, my own history of growing up, you know, and and being in school um, and what I was exposed to, there were a lot of things I didn't really come to understand about the black experience and about, you know, the history of race in our society until I got to college. And I was able to take courses that really offered me and op- created a space in which I could you know have those conversations and be in dialogue not only with my professor but also with my fellow classmates who came from all over the state of Michigan you know and that really helped me grow as an individual and I think that's what we missed that opportunity to help young people really grow as individuals and to properly prepare them for being citizens in an inclusive democracy.
2: Isha, the big conversation is about an AP class for high school students, but how might this impact the curriculum in a middle or elementary school and how young students understand their identity and U.S. history?
0: Yeah, um, I think the the way that this is related is, again, through those laws that the 18 states have passed because they apply to all levels um, of school. And... You know, there's definitely been already some um, restrictions on any level of um, classroom discussion about race and racism, and more recently, the attacks on LGBTQ rights. So although the AP curriculum um, being banned from Florida obviously doesn't impact middle and high um, elementary school children, yet Florida also bans um you know lessons on um certain aspects of race and racism they ban library books and classroom books about this um they've put in many states that have taken these initiatives are piling on with more and more restrictions um and certain school districts you know where board members have been elected with the with the purpose of stopping quote unquote indoctrination are also taking more severe measures than states. There are certain school districts in Texas um, and Oklahoma that have just outright banned <clears throat> a lot more. They've gone further than the state laws. And, um, you, you know, this is mostly related to LGBTQ rights and the stu- those rights of those students in school, but they've banned just mere discussions and using words like trans. So this goes pretty deep in, uh, especially um, in the states which have those laws. And, um, you know, with with this becoming a movement now, parents are um, certain right wing parent groups are, um, you know, more and more um, in line with what the what the Republican governors are wanting. So you see them pushing for this sort of re- these sort of restrictions in schools as well. So this is really Snowballing and shows no sign of stopping, and it affects every grade level.
2: Do you see, Isha? Do you see this impacting other curricula as well, like API studies and in, in, in social studies or uh, Indigenous studies?
0: Um, I, I'm I'm sure might at some point. At this point, we haven't really seen that. I think the only tangible threat we've seen is. DeSantis yesterday saying that he's going to ban all AP courses from Florida, but I think that was, I mean, I can't say, but, you know, no no tangible action has been taken yet to ban any of those other courses, which also in itself is very telling um, that this was the first elective to go through such negative scrutiny.
2: Touch bravado coming from uh, the state of Florida here in Connecticut, AAPI studies, indigenous studies as well. Those aren't necessarily being taught as separate courses to students, we're going to bring in a state capital reporter shortly to talk about those areas of studies, black and Latino studies as well, and how, while they may not necessarily be in danger of being removed from the classroom conversation in Connecticut altogether, there remains discussion over how these topics are being inserted into the curriculum. First, got to say goodbye to Isha Pendarker and Dr. Bilal Siku. Thank you guys so much for the great conversation.
3: Thanks a lot, Frankie. Have a good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Bye.
2: You can join the conversation. 888-720-9677, 888-720-WNPR. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Frankie Graziano. When Connecticut lawmakers pushed through legislation back in 2019 to have public schools include black and Latino studies in their curriculum, the state Senate unanimously supported the measure. The state house had 24 nay votes and five abstentions. I got to welcome now in a good friend of the show and, uh, and one half of Frankie and Johnny Craven, John Craven into the conversation via Zoom. John is News Twelve Connecticut's political reporter. Good morning. I might have you on mute. I don't know what whatever's going on, but we do have uh, John Craven. I understand that's on the line. And uh, if we don't have John yet, I'm going to make sure that we can take a, a phone call. First of all, I want to say uh, a, a shout out to May from Willimantic who makes a, a great point about our coverage today. She says the conversation uh, makes it seem like governors are leading this, but really legislators of color are making this push to make uh, curriculum more inclusive. Thank you so much for that comment, May. We greatly appreciate that as well. And now I want to bring in, I believe we have a, a phone call. I don't see it yet on my uh, list here. Uh, actually, here it is. We have a, a phone call from... I believe the town of Willimantic. uh this is Cassandra martineau good morning Cassandra
5: good morning
2: yes please uh please make your comment on the air welcome to where we live
5: i you know i i'm just kind of discouraged check. i'm uh white trying to be anti racist uh trans activist out in willimantic member of the local NAACP. um you know and i'm check just check kind check Mike, check that
2: Stand by John, we got a uh, we got Cassandra on the phone uh giving us a, a quick uh, comment. Go ahead Cassandra.
5: You know, I'm just kind of discouraged that there's any uh you know, uh controversy about black studies in the first place. If we're not including black studies in our uh teaching of US history, then basically I feel like all we're doing is um teaching white propaganda and racist propaganda. And we really need to counter that and have a more balanced uh, study of history. Uh, Racism and, you know, even slavery were part of the United States history for, you know, longer than they were not. We're still dealing with the repercussions. Um, As a trans person, I know understanding my own history, you know, as part of the U.S., take some of the burden off the of feeling that I'm not good enough, um, you know, because I understand the systemic issues that are, you know, going against my own community. And I feel like the same thing would apply, you know, to people of color as, you know, mm-hmm. understanding that, you know, they're bearing the burden of racism within the U.S., and I think that's an important understanding. Uh,
2: uh- I appreciate you so much coming in and joining this conversation, Cassandra, and uh, getting your perspective into this conversation. Thank you so much, and a very good morning to you out in Willimantic, and a very good morning as well to John Craven, who's at the Capitol today. Just want to ask you one last question on uh, on this particular conversation that we're having right now, John Craven, about... Uh, race and education, 24 nay votes when this happened a few years ago. Do you think there's any opposition uh, from, from maybe some Republicans in Connecticut? Has anybody been emboldened by what's happening down in Florida with a, with a Ron DeSantis or something like that? What are your thoughts, John?
1: I mean, not that I can tell. I mean, there really wasn't opposition to the idea of teaching black and latino studies uh in school it was real a lot of it really centered more on making it a separate class the 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 folks who voted no largely said uh, we think that uh, this should just be incorporated into the regular social studies curriculum like you were talking about earlier and the original bill would have just been african-american studies incorporated into social studies um, and then as discussions went along uh, it was determined that it would probably be more effective as a standalone class it, it was too much of a reach to get them to approve it as a mandatory class although um in the floor debate uh, a, a lot of african-american lawmakers said that that's really where they feel like it needs to be eventually um because if you look at the demographics of, of who's taking the class, um, it, it's over, it, it's, it's very disproportionate because the, the kids who are taking the class are overwhelmingly black and Latino. The teachers who are teaching the class are overwhelmingly white.
2: The AAPI and indigenous studies real quick. I wanted to get into that. Those aren't even uh, separate courses in Connecticut, right? Like they're they're baked into the curriculum. And that had to do with politics, as I understand it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Again, I think the thought was that this was just going to be too many mandates on the local school boards. Um, So the compromise they got to with both of those uh, was to roll them into social studies curriculums the uh, Native American studies I believe uh starts first they're just now starting to uh, um, create that curriculum uh, in consultation mm-hmm. you know with the uh, the tribes here in Connecticut and then I believe the aapi curriculum would start in 2025 I think. Mm.
2: We are not having good luck with our connections lately, John, because I want to talk to you more. We have such a great time talking to each other, but we're at the end of the show here. So I got to ask you, in about 30 seconds or less, maybe a minute, what are you doing up at the Capitol today? Who's going up there? I understand UConn's got a busload of kids. They're wearing shirts
1: uh, that they bought, and they're going to protest the budget. What are your thoughts? Today is UConn Day, and it is not a basketball game. Um, The the governor's budget includes uh, a pretty significant cut uh, of funding from what they were making last time. But the numbers are really a little complicated here because, you know, the state's contribution is actually going up. It's federal pandemic uh, relief that is starting to taper down. Um, UConn's new president is, is saying that uh, if it tapers down to the level Lamont's proposing, uh, we could be looking at up to three thousand dollar tuition hikes. So that doesn't just affect the students. Obviously, that affects mom and dad too. So uh, I I I think I think you're going to see a lot of pro UConn lawmakers up the grant but uh it's going to be a big fight up there
2: some threats to whether or not the school is going to play at the excel center we're hearing also reminders coming in from state lawmakers about intense spending at the university of connecticut thank you so much john craven for joining the conversation today's show produced by test terrible technical producer cat pastor thank you so much katie pellico on the phones did you know you can download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app thank you for listening to us frankie graziano